You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Everybody welcome Pastor Josh. Look good, Bismarck. How you doing, man? Good. Hey, it's good morning this morning. I feel a kind of an interesting morning as I'm prepared to speak is I feel like it's been a morning of a lot of ministry. Um, it's been a really interesting morning in that sense of, uh, you know, every time we come in here, there's so many tasks we have to get done. If you're new here, uh, you might not know, like it, it does actually take a lot of people to faithfully serve to make this happen both here and downstairs in our kids ministry. Uh, but something I'm always trying to teach our staff is that ministry is about people. It's about God first and it's about God and what he wants to do in people's lives. And so often we can get in the task, but man, this morning it's just been a lot of interceding with people. And I was joking in the first service we started, like we we're trying to get stuff going. It felt a little frantic. And I'm like, I, I forget that what seems like frantic to other people feels like ministry to me. Because I look around and I see our team praying for people. And I see our team saying, yeah, I know that yeah, we, we have all these things to do to make service happen. What we value is the breakthrough in, in people's lives. And so I say that, A, to say thank you to everybody who serves so faithfully here. Uh, I've just been so in love with uh, what God has been doing. You know, I, I was speaking, thinking recently online, I see a lot of posts like churches are running scared and pastors need to stand up. But man, when I look at this church, I'm just so thankful for what God is doing. Right? I'm so thankful. I don't know if you knew this, most of our team, most of who we would call our staff isn't even paid. They work full-time jobs and then they come here. Uh, and they serve faithfully, and they, they love you faithfully. And so as you desire to be shepherded, as every member of a congregation uh, should do, also remember that these people are doing it purely because they love you. And so our job is to constantly reflect that kindness back to them. And so it was just great to see this morning. This has nothing to do with my message. Uh, but as a culture, as a church, it was just great for me to see people getting prayed for and people embracing each other and people, you know, having a, a place to be there. So I want to encourage if you came in really going through it today, uh, you're amongst company. <laughs> you came in a little exhausted today. You're like, God, I hope they turn the air on so I don't fall asleep. You're amongst friends. <laughs> If you just woke up to get the online service, you thought you were coming in person today, you were amongst peers, I guarantee you. Uh, but that's really the beauty of what God wants to do in his church, amen? It's about people. It's about what he wants to speak, right? It's about the presence, not a performance. But pretty awesome. Uh, we're going to begin a new series today. Before we do, I want to make an announcement. I'm trying to look here. Where'd they go? Hey, sweet. Uh, my really good friends and newlyweds, Marcus and Kristen Donaldson, are here. Would you guys stand up so we can celebrate you? Yeah. Probably some of the coolest, uh, coolest flowers I've ever seen. They made this space look so cool. Like, it was right. I walked in. I was like, this is legit. I was like, we need to keep those flowers up. Like, it was cool. So, um, but it, very, very cool. You guys did amazing. And, uh, I'm just so excited for you guys. Incredible couple. I encourage you, if you haven't gotten to know them, uh, reach out to them because they are a blast. They're very humble, you know, so they're not going to necessarily come out and show that, but they are like super fun. You will love hanging out with them. So uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, but I'm excited. You know, today we're going to begin a series on the Beatitudes. I want to pray over you before we do that today and uh, just pray a blessing upon this sermon. 
Would you join with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here with us. And I pray that as we go through this, I pray that our hearts will be softened to what you want to speak. God, I pray for those today who struggle to recognize the depth of love that you have for them. I pray that today would be a day of breakthrough. They would recognize the depth and riches of the love that you have for them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Can we thank our worship band today? Awesome. Awesome. So good. I, uh, I'm excited to start this series. Um, you know, this week has been a busy week. I, I, started, uh, I started boxing this week. I've never boxed. Thank you, wife. Again, it feels just as good second service as first service. Um, yeah, it's like, well, it's like 12 years. We're still going. So, um, and uh, yeah, I started boxing this week. And, you know, you don't do classes. You do the one-on-ones. And I was looking for, you know, a way to kind of let out some energy, get back into shape. Uh, I don't like running. I don't believe that running has come from the Lord. Um <laughs> You know, I joke. We have like amazing. We have like cross country stars in our church. So please know, please know, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but you, but you know that I'm not. I don't look like a runner. Um, so I, uh, I, I was like, you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna do boxing. I'm gonna get in shape. And so I did these like one on one lessons. I got it approved in the budget. You know, from my home, not from the church. The church doesn't pay for me to work out. Um, <laughs> people were like, I knew it. Pentecostals, right? <laughs> Uh, no, in our in our personal budget, uh, and so I, I did it. Started doing the one-on-one training, and you know it's interesting when I went in. What I realized about boxing is that I know nothing about boxing, right? Um, I, you know, I have uh, I have um, I have boxed, let's just say, in the past in a non-sanctioned fashion in my younger years. My mom's not in this service, so I feel more comfortable talking about it. A little less judged when she was in the front row. <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And so, man, it was a workout. And they're like, hey, you know, you got to do this, do this, do this. You know, the first thing, I, you know, I went in, like, okay, stand. And they're like, nope, that's, you know, it's wrong already. So, you know, I got to get, you got to get your stance. You got to get your movement. You know, you got to, and all that stuff. They teach you, like, stand like this. You know, you know, your hands are down. Okay, get your hands up so you can, you know, hit your defense. Right? They teach you how to move. They teach you how to go around. And they're like, okay, now we got to work on endurance. So you got to get the jump rope and go jump, jump roping, jump roping for 20 minutes, 20 minutes. The guy hands me a jump rope. He's like, yo, man, go hit this 20 minutes. I look at him. I was like, what? No. <laughs> like, but I couldn't say no because it's like all the money I have paying this guy to tell me to go jump rope. So I'm like, yep, here we go. So I'm like, what do I do? He's like, you go outside, you go outside and do it. I'm like, perfect. Like around the corner of the building. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, man, jump roping is brutal. I bought a jump rope just so I could get better at it. I'm out there just like one, two, singing songs or whatever you do. Uh, Get some neighborhood kids, you know, kind of whip it together. (laughs) I'm in between, right? But it's all these things, right? You know, endurance, do this, do this, do this. And, and really the goal of my teacher, right? He's a good teacher. He's amazing. Uh, is to teach me how to be prepared, right? To, to ha- how to do this, to train me, to equip me, right? Because he's trained and equipped. You have never met my, the guy training me. But I will tell you from, from his appearance, you would go, yes, he is prepared, right? <laughs> when you see him, you're like, yep, yes. Um, so... 
If I get into the ring, his ability or preparation is, is not going to matter, but mine is, right? So if I get into the ring, it's like, this is a boxing match. You are a boxer. But if I'm not prepared, uh, things could go bad. So he's trying to teach me how to be the most successful. I don't plan on fighting anyone anytime soon, but he is trying to teach me how to be successful in that space, right? How do you fight the good fight, right? How do you be successful in the fight that you're facing? This is not a, not, not a conditional thing. It's like, how, how do I be prepared for what's coming my way, right? I want to get my footwork so if someone, you know, jabs at me, I don't, like, fall over. Or if they hit me, I don't collapse. I got to defend, you know, so if someone throws a punch at me, I don't lose my nose or whatever. Yeah, I'm new to it, guys. Give me a break. It's been, like, three times, <laughs> all right? So I'm, like, learning all this stuff to, to feel in that space, right? Shifting the balance and your weight and endurance and all these things so that I can be as prepared as possible. And that's what a good teacher does, right? A good teacher teaches you how to be prepared for the fight that you're facing. And that's really the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not um, a message from Jesus about the conditions of salvation. It is not a message about how to earn salvation. It's about how to be prepared for how to live the way of Jesus Christ. Right? It's, it's not like if you do this, you will earn salvation. If you will this, you will earn salvation. He is very clearly speaking to those who want to pursue Christ with their lives. And he's explaining that this is the character of the kingdom of heaven. Like we use this phrase all the time now, blessed. If you've been on Instagram for like four and a half minutes, you saw someone with a lot of money in like Tulum, Mexico, being like hashtag blessed. And you're like hashtag rich. <laughs> like, if you happen to be hashtag rich, invite me next time. I will go with you. We will be hashtag blessed together. <laughs> right? <laughs> Amen. I received that. Um, <laughs> but we want to talk about the, the values and the character of the kingdom of God. Because I really believe as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, there is a better blessing than what our world would understand as being blessed. There is a better understanding of blessing. And so we're going to look together at Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 2 through 12. If you have your Bible, would you jump to Matthew chapter 5, verse 2? If you don't have your Bible or you're online, don't worry. The words are going to be on the screen because our incredible tech team puts all this stuff on there. So thank you, tech team. Uh, also, we have a little button online that you can press, and it says Bible. And when you press that button, the Bible will be there. There you go. Uh, but Matthew 5, I just want to read through all of them together. It says this. This is Jesus. He saw a crowd. He went up to the mountain. He sat down. His disciples came around, and he began to teach. Here's what he says. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, anyone ever read, maybe you've, you've, you've been in church a couple times and you might have read the Beatitudes and you read it and you're like, I'm sorry, what is this list, right? Because there's some big terms uh, and big ideas in this list, the Beatitudes. 
And I would say, like, if we were to put this up against what the world deems as blessed, this would not be top tier. Right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when people revile you. How blessed do you feel when people revile you? Not super blessed. So what is Jesus talking about here? And so week by week, we're going to go through it. But importantly, every beatitude builds on the next beatitude. So the beatitude, when he's preaching the sermon, it's not like if you were to take one line from my message, right, and then just like break down. No, no, it all goes together for a purpose. Every beatitude goes together for a very specific purpose. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, we have to understand that each one is not standalone, but it builds upon the next, right? In order um, to be meek, we have to be poor in spirit. In order to understand to really, how to really thirst for righteousness, we must be meek. In order to be a peacemaker, we must be the kind of people who thirst for righteousness. But we can't thirst for righteousness unless we're meek, and we can't be meek unless we're poor in spirit. See, they all work together, right? Think of it as like stairs stepping up. Again, you're not stepping to salvation. That comes from God and God alone, but he's talking about how do I live this better blessing, the sense of what it is to live with kingdom character. But it starts with the very first one, the poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think that's a big term, poor in spirit. If you were to be honest, anyone ever wondered what that means? Be honest. I, I am one that wondered, right? In my life, I remember the first time I read the Beatitudes, I'm like, what? in spirit like sad like lacking the holy spirit what does this mean i think it's a good question blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven you're like oh, okay i like that last part theirs is the kingdom of heaven it was interesting uh, after my my first boxing lesson i did i tried to sign up for eight because they do them in groups of eight and they said well you should do one and see if you like it and i said well no I really want to do eight because that's how my mind works. I'm all or nothing. And she said, no, you should do one. And I said, okay, yes, ma'am. <laughs> because she's in charge. And she was cool, and she knew what she was talking about, right? So after my first lesson, uh, I, I, I came out. I was meeting with my, my coach, and I was talking to the owner. And we both really like Grit TV. I don't know if there's Grit TV fans, cowboy movies, right? So we have a lot in common. Me and a 65-year-old boxing owner actually have a shocking a lot of, I'm an old person in my heart. That's what I'm saying to you right now. When I go home, I watch cowboy movies on the TV and agree with Burt Reynolds at the commercials. Right? <laughs> That's who I am as a person. But uh, she's talking to me. She's like, hey, how did it go? And I'm like, well, you know what I learned today is that I don't know anything about boxing. And she's like, perfect. And I, you know, I felt like I didn't feel bad because I'm used to not knowing anything about anything and I love to learn. But she's like, no, that, that's actually good because healthy self-evaluation is the best place to start, right? She's like, you got to know that you don't know anything so that you can go somewhere. I mean, you don't stay there. It's got to inform your growth, right? Like, I'm here. I need to be there, you know? When, see, when, when I – it's not to make me feel bad, right? Like, evaluating where I was at. You know, I, when, when I'm there, it is very obvious that I don't know anything, right? There's guys there who've been boxing for, like, 35 years, They've, like, boxed in wars or something. I don't know. They look tough. And then there's, there's me, like, can you help me wrap my hands? Right? Like, I'm still trying to figure it out. Right? I'm, like, watching the YouTube videos, like, one, two, three, one, one, two. No, no, one, two, one, two. No, okay. Right? It's very obvious. 
But it's important because that, that idea of self-reflection is not to make me feel bad or, or to put me down. It's, it's so that we can grow, right? Right? You, you can't teach somebody who knows everything. You can't lift someone up who's already so high in their own mind. You can't change when you think you're perfect. Right? It's only by recognizing I need to grow, looking around, and, and realizing I need to grow that's important. And so she told me, she's like, did you notice if you look around, no one's looking at you? And I was like, well, I kind of just was too out of breath to do that. And she's like, well, everybody's been where you have been. Right? Everyone has been where you've been wanting to grow. So let me tell you today, look around the church and say, everyone's been where you've been. Right? No one's lower or higher. That's not what it's about. It's about this recognition within our heart and this desire to grow. It's about us all looking into our own hearts and reflecting and saying, how am I or how do I become poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's an interesting term, spiritual poverty, right? And it's weird to think that spiritual poverty would be a good thing because in most scenarios, poverty is not an exemplary quality in our culture, right? Like that. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, like I follow this guy on YouTube. He's so poor. Well, you laughed as if that's not true. Like, you follow, like, rich people, like, who <laughs> look totally different than they were when they were 15, right, because of their money. That's how it works in our culture. Like, we, we, we struggle with that idea. Like, why would I want to be poor in any form? Wouldn't I want to be rich in spirit, Right? Wouldn't I want to be, like, wealthy in spirit? Wouldn't I want to have money in spirit? And so the Sermon on the Mount is kind of this, like, contrasting experience between what the world says, between what's known, and between what's kingdom. Right? The Sermon on the Mount is like this, we almost called it the upside-down kingdom, right? Because it's just so upside-down of what we could come to expect. And so Jesus constantly in the Sermon on the Mount is saying things like, you've heard it said, blank, but I say, blank, right? You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, right? Don't cheat on your wife. But I say, don't even look lustfully at another person. So did Jesus come to abolish the laws? He's saying like, oh, you've heard the law say this, but I say this. No, he's saying that by the Spirit, there's something more. There's a better blessing. There's more that I long for, right? There's more that I want for my marriage than just what my marriage certificate says, right? There's more that I long for in my relationship with my children than just what the law says I shouldn't do, right? Like, that's like not even entered my mind. Like, oh, yeah, the law says, right? Because there should be love and compassion and care. So the relationship, the love, the spirit is so much more than the law. Jesus is not anti-law. He came to fulfill the law, to bring it to completion, you're like, what is the law? Like, maybe you're new to church. Don't, don't worry. Let me explain. If you go to the, read the Old Testament, we have the Bible. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you read the Old Testament, if you read before the Gospels and the coming of Jesus Christ, you read about the nation of Israel, right? And, and in Scripture, the nation of Israel is brought into a covenant relationship with God as part of his promise to Abraham to bring a Savior, which we know to be Jesus Christ. And as the people are brought out of their slavery in Egypt and they're going to the promised land, they are given the law. And if you've ever read like Leviticus, you know, like you find Christ and you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible in a year. So you start in Genesis and you get to Leviticus and you're like, maybe not. <laughs> and then you skip, 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 Matthew, right? 
Why? Because there's a lot of stuff you're like, how does this apply to me? You're in Leviticus, you're like, you can't wear mixed fabrics, you can't eat bacon. You're like, you can't, wait a second, you can't have tattoos? I gotta call the pastor right now. Let me send him an email. And I'm like, haha, nope, delete, right? <laughs> because we're picking up all this mosaic law and all this ceremonial stuff. You're like, what is the point of this? Like, you gotta sacrifice a goat. And if you don't have a goat, you can use three doves. And if you don't have three doves, then you can throw one up, cast it on fire. I don't know. You know, right? Like, like what's happening? And there's the purple cloth. And then if a woman's on her period, she's gotta go way out of town into this tent. And all the women were out in this tent. And I bet that was horrible, right? <laughs> you imagine just tempers flaring. <laughs> Everybody's on this. Anyways, so you read all this stuff. You read all these things, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? What is the point of this, right? Like, what is the point? Like, this whole chunk, right, what is the point of this? Well, God is very clearly giving his people the law for the sake of their own purity. He's in this covenant relationship. And so he's longing for his people to have a pure relationship with him, right? Imperfect, sinful people. You're like, wait a second. That seems impossible. It is impossible. Like, but why would a loving God give an impossible law? Doesn't that seem like he's just setting us up to fail? Like, didn't he just kind of set Israel up to fail? If he gave them a perfect law, but they're imperfect people, and he's like, ha, 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 now you're going to hell. That's kind of cruel, right? But that's not, that's not the intent. See, there's two things. One, God is perfect, so we can't give an imperfect law. That would be counter to who he is. Right? It's like, a flawed law that meets our human flaws. The second thing is that the point of the law was actually meant to just lay bare the state of our spiritual poverty. See, the point of the law was not to get rid of God. It was to make them rely on God. Right? right? The point of the law was not to supersede God or to become God. There is only one God. The point of the law was to basically rend open their hearts to the reality of their brokenness, lay it bare and naked before the truth of who God is, that they might go, go, oh Lord, we need you. We need you to save us. We need you to redeem us. God, we want to walk in obedience and alignment with you. It wasn't meant to punish them. It was meant to direct them. Tears us away from our self-righteousness and shows us how much we are indebted to God because of our sin and brokenness. See, the law was supposed to lead them to a place of longing for God, right? Recognizing no human effort could do it. And in this moment, this moment of spiritual poverty, this moment where you and I even recognize there is nothing I can do to pay the debt of my sin. I am broken. I have sinned. There is shame. And nothing I can do can overcome the debt of my sin and shame. But what's beautiful is like in that moment, we don't stop there. We're not rolling around in the mud. We're not wretched. We're not in that space, right? In that moment, God, Christ, descends into that place, bringing his blessing and rescuing the lost. Both live together. The spiritual poverty and the kingdom. In that moment, there is an intersection of the two. There is a meeting of the two. Are you still with me? Yes. Romans 8.1 says this. I love Romans any fans of the book of Romans out there? That's a random question to ask, but you can cheer yourself. You're like, yeah, Romans. <laughs> Therefore, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
Okay, the law of the Spirit, meaning through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that has been given, right, is the down payment of our eternal resurrection that comes through him, the life he's promised, versus the law of sin and death, the law that of given in the Old Testament, right, the law that needed to be fulfilled through Christ. It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, meaning we're imperfect and we couldn't fulfill it, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. See, the law leads to death because we can't fulfill it. Therefore, it is very clear and obvious in its judgment of our sin, right? For, for sin, there is judgment. For choices, there is consequences. But Christ brings us life because he paid the debt to free us from our slavery. We are free from the debt of our sin because of Jesus' blood. So all the sacrificing, all, all of the priesthood, all of the covenants that they would make and the sacrifices of blood signifying the death, that was a shadow of what was going to come. And Jesus came as the high priest who would give us access, as the one whose blood would be shed. We don't need any more lambs, any more goats, any more three doves, any more blah, 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 blah. We have Jesus Christ who died for us as the blood as the offering, as a life for us. And so in our deep spiritual poverty, God lifts us up and sets us into royalty. In order to be lifted, we must become low. In order to be filled, we must become emptied. In order to become great, we must give up everything. That's a pretty upside-down kingdom, amen? And I love the story, uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, we have done a, a whole series on Luke chapter 15. You go ahead and flip there if you have your Bibles. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Um, if you were in Matthew, go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and you're there. Uh, but we've done a whole series on just uh, chapter 15 and how they all work together and the complete, uh, more uh, ex, you know, expository breakdown, verse by verse, of the parable and all this. So, But we're just going to capture um, the spiritual principle as Christ intended to teach it here. Because we don't have time to go through all that. But if you'd like to go through all that, you can go back to our uh, Pursuit series, I think it was called, yeah, something like that, online, and uh, you can watch our uh, podcast on it. But I want to just read this because I think it's a powerful parable of the, the physical example of what God wants to do. Okay, 15, verse 11 says, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Says, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
Verse 20 says, He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Okay, let's stop there. What can we learn from Jesus in this parable? What is he showing us about the qualities and the character of the kingdom of heaven? What do we learn? What is he teaching? Well, first I think he's teaching that we must accurately assess the condition of our heart. To be poor in spirit, to receive the kingdom of heaven, we have to accurately assess the condition of our own hearts. We have to recognize our spiritual condition without God. Rip away the veil of self-interest and self-assessment or um, um, selfishness and really assess the condition of our heart. I, I think of this son, the prodigal son in the pig slop, right? He runs from the father. He takes his inheritance. He says, by taking his inheritance, he says, he's the younger son, so he's not even going to be the leader of this family, right? He's the younger son. He says, says, listen, I want my inheritance. Another way of saying that is, could you die so I could have my money, please? Yeah, that's super mean-spirited. That's what it's supposed to mean, right? That would be incredibly offensive. I wish you were dead. Give me money now, please. Probably not even the please. And so he takes it, and he squanders his inheritance, living in rebellion of the acts of the flesh. Okay, so I have a lot in common with this guy. He loses everything. He has nothing. He can't buy his way back into the kingdom. He can't buy his position back. He can't return the inheritance. He has nothing. In the world's eyes, what's left for him is servitude and lowness for the rest of his life. He can't even buy food. When he's eating the pods of the tree, or these like caribou pods that would fall off and pigs would eat them, they're just like nothing. They're bitter, but pigs will eat them because pigs will eat anything. So, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen who sent him to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He couldn't even get those. But it says, when he came to his senses, that word there is, when he began to think reasonably. I've had that moment. I don't know about you. <laughs> when he began to use good wisdom, he realized the state of his life, the reality of his poverty. Let me just assess it for you, in case you're not sure what this means. I am a sinner, right? Paul said that God came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. If Paul is the worst, I don't know what that makes me. <laughs> I've written zero books of the Bible currently and will never because you can't write anymore. So take that. <laughs> I am a sinner. My debt of shame I could not pay. I am deserved of the full wrath of God for the consequence of my sin. Not because God hates me, but because my sin separates me from God. That's what I deserve. I can't earn my way into the kingdom. I can't buy my way into the kingdom. I can't work my way into levels of heaven. There's one heaven, there's one God, there's one spirit. Yet, as a prodigal in that moment, in recognizing it, my heart is in, is, is in many ways feeling destitute and poor, but in many ways is 
longing more than ever just to sit at the feet of Jesus. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, God, I, if I could just like, like I'm not, maybe I'm not going to get in, but I'll like sit at the doorstep, and if like a if a like little sliver of your glory shines out the crack of the doors of the kingdom, like that'll do it for me. You've ever been there? Like you're so low, you're like, you know what? Like I will take the table scraps of the table, er, you know, of the table of heaven. Just like whatever. I know there's a banquet. Like I'll sit at the bottom. Like I'm off the floors. Like that's how we feel. Why? Because we're responding to the great depth of our poverty. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us there. We're going to talk about that. So don't stay there. But there's something about this recognition that is so important for us to receive the kingdom. We must become poor in spirit so that we can become rich in Christ. See, our response to that heart condition is not depression, or it shouldn't be. It should be humility. It should be to humble ourselves. The prodigal comes with nothing. I think it's interesting in, in verse 18 there, he starts kind of like rehearsing his lines. He's like, I'm going to set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It's kind of like, you ever had to go tell your parents something when you were a kid? So you practice that conversation? You know what I'm talking about? You like get ready? You're like, you, oh, I, I know what you're going to say. That I'm a parent now. Let me tell you, you, did, you, I didn't know what they were thinking. Um, <laughs> like you have no idea what I'm thinking right now. Mostly, I'm just impressed you're this crazy. Um, but in this mode of, he, he comes before his father. He's in this state of humility of recognizing, wow, you know, I do not deserve the glory. I do not deserve the honor. He, he's in this state. Now, again, I have to be careful here because some of you might get stuck here on the message. If you're online, you might click away here. And if you don't get the last part, this part's just going to seem really mean. And it's going to seem like everybody's wretched and sucks. So you have to stay with me for the whole thing, okay? You know what I'm talking about here, right? You ha it all has to make sense. If you cut out like a quarter of the way through the movie, like you're not going to know the ending. You got to stay with me for the whole thing. All of it's important, right? Prodigal goes, he says, I deserve nothing. He's become completely empty. He comes to the Father with nothing. And yet, the important part is that he comes to the Father. That is what is important. He comes to the Father. That's how God wants to receive us, not in grandeur, right? He just wants to receive us as we are, humbly, in humility. It's because you can't be filled with Christ when you're full of yourself. This is why being poor in spirit is so important. This is why humility is so important. You cannot be filled with God when you're full of yourself. It's interesting when I do discipleship, people are like, oh, yeah, 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 I know. I'm like, well, then why are we meeting? I should be home with my kids. Apparently, you know everything. Why aren't you doing it then, right? But we all kind of live in that state, right? Like a little bit of pride, a little bit of honor. It goes a long way to our head. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, just me? Cool. <laughs> I struggle with this then. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. No, it's warm, but man, my goodness, help a brother not feel like he's just sitting up here alone. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but this is the state that we're in. If you pretend to know everything, you can't learn anything. If you pretend to have everything, then you won't give up what's necessary to receive what God really has. It's the reality. For the Holy Spirit to fill us, we must be emptied all the way. Everything must be poured out. Right? It must be completely emptied. I think of the young rich man that came to Jesus, and he said, hey, what's it going to take to follow you, Jesus? And Jesus says, hey, obey the commands. And the guy's like, he's probably thinking his brain like, he has it up his nails. He's like, I've done that. I've done all the things. I've obeyed this, and I've, and I've done these, and I've followed the commandments. And Jesus is like, hey, man, that's awesome. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The guy's like, what? 
No. <laughs> right? He's like, ah. And it says he goes away sad. Think about that. He was talking to Jesus. How do I inherit the kingdom? Jesus is like, get rid of your money. And he's like, no, thank you. I will choose the money instead of eternity. He says in Matthew 19, Jesus says, Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's funny. Um, <laughs> how many people have this understanding? And if you've heard this understanding, um, I don't know, just roll with me. And, you know, we're all going to learn something new today. I've heard so many people, I didn't know this was a thing, who have said, yeah, I've heard the message that the eye of the needle was a gate in Jerusalem, and in order for a camel to go through this gate, it would have to unload its bags and get on its knees, and it was very difficult to get through the gate. Has anyone heard that? Okay, let me just tell you, no such gate exists or ever existed. You know how I know that? Because we have a map (laughs) of Jerusalem. No such gate exists. And Jewish people, some of the things they were great at was recording things and things about Jerusalem they were quite fond of. Do you know how many doors your house has? Like front and back, let's just say. Entrances to your home, think on it. Okay, you got it. Now just imagine if that place was the dwelling place of God, right? (laughs) For a thousand years, you might remember. Just saying. Okay. But unfortunately, what that does to us is it damages our exegesis of that scripture because it makes it sound like it's difficult to get to God with your baggage. So you need to, you know, put your baggage down and get through and then put it back on and then keep. It's just like a weird thing. When two verses later, Jesus literally says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. His disciples are freaked, in which case they wouldn't be if it was just a gate. But literally, they're thinking, no, you cannot put a camel through the eye of a needle. You know how? Because they knew what needles were, and they super knew what camels were, right? It was very obvious. It was a very obvious description. You know what the word in the Greek for eye of the needle means? Eye of the needle. You know what it means in Hebrew? Eye of the needle. You know what it means in Aramaic, which it was right here? Eye of the needle. That's what it is. It's a needle, and it's the, it's the hole. That's what the eye is. It's the hole of the needle. I'm trying to jam a camel through that. It's not going to work. Very, very important. Here is the spiritual principle that Jesus is trying to preach. A man who is great in his own eyes cannot inherit heaven. There was only one God of your life, and its name is not Benjamin Franklin. He's on the $100 bill. People are like, what? <laughs> it's Jesus Christ. You cannot be full of God if you're full of yourself. Until you have emptied yourself of yourself, we cannot be full of the kingdom of God. Spiritual poverty empties us so that we can be filled. For that man, it happened to be money. Why? For a lot of us, it happens to be money. You know why? Because it's easier to humble yourself when the world has already kind of got you started. It's much harder when the world's told you, you are amazing. You are so awesome. Look at your Tesla, man. You're so cool. Teslas are sick. (laughs) Respect. I'm not knocking your Tesla. Let's go for a ride, right? That's what I I'm not knocking if you go to Mexico. Let's literally go right now. I'm sorry, Katie. You're going to watch the kids. I'm going to Mexico. <laughs> but it's hard. When, when people have told you, man, this is what it means to achieve. This is what it means to have power. And God comes on. He's like, blessed are the poor. You're like, what? No. But yes, that's what it means. He's saying, listen, it's hard when you're great in your own eyes. We must be empty to be filled. Why? Because we are broken. 
I have this uh, coffee mug that I really love, and I don't know why I love this one. It's like blue, and it's got these speckles on it, but it leaks. But I only notice it leaks when I fill it up. I don't know if you guys have this. It's like, I don't know why I go back to this mug. I'm just a sucker for punishment. I don't know what it is, but I just love this one. I go back to it, but it leaks. And I only notice it leaks when I fill it up. But let me tell you, the worst time to try to fix a coffee mug is when it's full of boiling lava coffee, right? <laughs> What's like step one of fixing this? Pour it out, right? Pour it out. That's how you fix it. But the reality is that we try to instead fill the broken things rather than fixing those things, rather than mending it, rather than being renewed, rather than being restored, rather than being redemption, try to fill it with other stuff. This is why you could spend $9,000 to go on a vacation to try to fix your family only to argue the whole time, come home and just want a divorce. Because you should have spent the time falling on your knees before God, recognize the state of how much forgiveness you need, how much grace you need, how much mercy you need. And then you should have gone to your spouse in grace and mercy and said, forgive me for my arrogance. Forgive me for my selfishness. I recognize the state of my spiritual poverty. And we need Jesus. We don't need Disneyland. It's great. It's awesome. But it will not restore the broken things. All you're going to have is just you put an RV in that mug, it's just gonna, you're going to leak RV. You put money in that mug, you're just going to leak money. You put kids in that mug. I mean, if we have kids, that'll do it. It's just going to leak kids. Your kids are going to leak out into the world. But there's something so powerful about emptying out to be filled. Psalm 103 says, God redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with love. He satisfies our desires with good things. God longs to fill us, but we must become empty. We must become poured out. When we're nothing, Christ is everything. When we bring nothing but a broken heart, he heals our heart. When we're empty, he fills us. That's his promise. Remember I said you had to wait? Everybody, you guys have done a great job being patient. So here it is. God embraces us in our poverty. Okay, both these are important, right? Some of you, you're going to nail the first part, but you're really going to struggle with this part. Right? You have not been embraced by a loving father, so this is going to be a struggle. Can I encourage you, don't, don't look away from this wrestling in your spirit right now. Step into it and allow God to confirm his love in your heart because this is so important. God embraces us in our poverty. I love it. The, the son comes rehearsing his line, and the father just runs to him. That would have been a shocking moment, yeah. right? That would have been a shocking moment. It says in verse 20, it says, He got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son thinks my dad is going to be so mad. He's going to be so furious at me. He's going to be so angry with me. I can only be a servant. He says the father runs to him. Why do you think Jesus had the father run? I mean, the parable still works if it says, and upon entering the home, the father embraced the son and said, you are now home. I would have still said, yes, we're home. All right? Why does he run? Because he breaks off this, like, cultural mindset that really uh, people in authority did not run anywhere. Running was the job of servants. Sweating was the job of servants. Running, no. So he kind of steps into this humble and beautiful and honestly culturally reckless position to run after his son, and he embraces him. 
and he kisses him. He gives him affection. The son had to be overwhelmed. He's just trying to shoot for being a servant. Like, he's just hoping he's welcomed home. And all of a sudden, his dad sprints out of the house and bear hugs him, right? That would have been like, but that's who God is. Listen, God created you to be a son and daughter of the kingdom of heaven. It is by our own sin and rebellion that we separate from that. But God has always longed for us to walk in a relationship with him. So hear me, once a son of God, always a son of God. Once a daughter of God, always a daughter of God. This is not once saved, always saved doctrine here. Real quick. I just realized what that might sound like, so let me clarify. What I'm saying is that God has always longed to redeem you into the adoption of son and daughtership of heaven. That you would be called his children. That you would step into relationship with him. In our moment of spiritual poverty, Jesus always embraces. In that moment we go, Lord, I need you. God, I can't do this by my own strength. I can't be the savior of my own life. Jesus, I need you. He doesn't go, yeah, that's right. You do. <laughs> he, he embraces us. Yeah. And one of my favorite things about Jesus is he, he's labeled friend of sinners. I've always thought that on my tombstone, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. It's just my last name, friend of sinners, and then no dates. <laughs> Come on, you know that'd be tight. <laughs> friend of sinners. I love that. They meant it as a mocking term, but Jesus knew it as a ministry, right? I love Luke 15, 1. Before the, this parable of the prodigal, he's talking uh, to the Pharisees. It says in, in Luke 15, 1, you could just look right up above where we were. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's a theme in three parables that are within chapter 15, which is the Pharisees are struggling to recognize the redemption of the Gentiles and who God has come to save. They're struggling with this idea, like, we're righteous. We follow the law. Why are you hanging out with these people? Why are you hanging out with prostitutes? There is no, why is the Messiah supposedly hanging out with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes? I mean, like, these people, why is he doing it? They're very confused. He says, listen. Everyone has sinned, right? Scripture tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have come for the sinners. I have come for who the world deems unwanted. Not only that, I have run to them. I have come to seek and to save the lost. God has come to embrace them. And they, you know what? Honestly, they're really good at recognizing their spiritual poverty. The righteous, the high-minded, those who think they're so holier than now because they've gone to eight small groups, even though small groups are important and everyone should be involved. Uh, those who have gone to all these things and done all these things, they struggle to recognize the state of their own spiritual poverty. That's why churches can get judgy. That's why churches can split about chair colors. Like, you have got to be flipping kidding me. If you're going to leave because of the color of chairs, leave now and save us all the trouble later. No one. Good, 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 good. <laughs> that would be, someone got up right now and be like, okay. Huh? 
power of the Holy Spirit at work. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Is that God longs to embrace us. We don't need our speech. We don't need excuses. He says, you're home. You're here. I welcome you. I embrace you. Let's party. Like, he tags on a party at the end. It would be enough just to be embraced by God. And he'd be like, and now you're a servant. Go serve. He, he's like, let's celebrate. Yeah. He rejoices over us. He rejoice. You have to actually love somebody to throw them a party. Yeah. Right? He celebrates. He rejoices. He says, let's rejoice. Because the poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven. See, unity with God, that, that was a created intent always been the goal and I love this when the, when the son comes back in, in Luke 15 you know he has this whole speech I don't know if you noticed that he's got his speech set out like I said you know he's like okay um, I'll rise and I'll say to him father I've sinned against heaven all these things all these things all these things but when we look at uh, Luke 15 verse 22 his father like cuts him off like halfway look at that again if you have your scripture if you have your Bible with you says, you know, treat me as one of your hired servants, and he arose, and he came to his father, and he runs out, and he kisses him, and says, and the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't get the end out. God just, or the, the father right there just turns, and I just imagine this as a father, because I, you know, I have kids that like to talk a lot, because they're like me. He just is like, okay, go, quick, bring the robe and the ring. Look at verse 22. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The prodigal's brought in. He's given a robe. He's given royalty and honor. And his brother, later, you can read it, you know, because that goes along with what I was saying about Pharisees. His brother's like, I'm sorry, what? Is this what we're doing now? We're rejoicing over these dirty my dirty brother that wasted everything and I've been here the whole time and God's like yep <laughs> that's exactly what we're doing man I think about this you know at the beginning the prodigal does not value what he has how valuable do you think hugs from dad were I know this is reading into a little bit so we have to be careful here but in the scope of a father I think about like that moment where he's embraced that had to be the most meaningful embrace he'd ever received right it's, it's meant to showcase affection. But we don't see them, like, embracing longingly before he leaves, right? There's something that changed in his life that made that embrace so powerful. There's something that changed in his life that made that robe, made that honor, that made that party so powerful. What was it? It was that he was poor in spirit. He valued the gift of the kingdom. He valued his place as the son of the father. He recognized before when he was high in his own mind and his own authority. I, I guarantee you he did not think of home or the robe or the ring or any of that when he was out partying with all his money because he was high in his own mind. He didn't think about the embrace of a father, right? The parable is very clearly meant to show us that something has changed in his life. He has become poor in spirit. And in that poverty of spirit, he is adopted into royalty as a son of God. Did you know that? That you are royalty in heaven? I mean, not by anything we've done, but because of Christ. You're royalty. You, it, God did not adopt you in so that you could, like, sit at the doorstep of heaven and be like, man, I 
what are they doing in there? Oh, man, that looks awesome. I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. What's that? Oh, yeah. Hey, let me, get, let me grab some of that, right? Like, you are not the mouse scurrying around at the foot of the grand table of heaven. That's not your place. You are a co-heir with Christ. In fact, let me, let's just have scripture tell it to us. Galatians 4.4. 4. It says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Okay, this is awesome. I think sometimes God takes more seriously our adoption than we do. He said, you are not saved to be just a servant in heaven. You are not saved just to be a slave of heaven, to sit at the doorstep. You are a son and daughter of God. Have you thought about this? Have you let this blow your mind recently that you are an heir with Christ? Be overwhelmed by that for a second. Like, what? Those things overwhelm me. Those thoughts. Like, I am a co-heir. I, can I be honest? That is hard for me to understand sometimes. The level of love that that is. The level of redemption that that is. Mostly because I'm very critical, so I'm very critical of myself. Anybody else? So, like, I could definitely see myself on the doorstep. It's hard for me to see, see myself as a son and daughter. But that's who God says we are. He says you have an inheritance of the kingdom. You have inheritance of the hope and the healing of the kingdom, of the eternity of the kingdom, of the freedom of the kingdom, of the mercy, of the grace, of the life, of the joy, of the spirit. We come with nothing, and God gives us everything. If we come with everything, we get nothing. If we come with nothing, we get everything. How amazing is that? This is the only beatitude that requires a lack of something. We bring nothing except emptiness, and God gives us everything. Band, you can come up. I love that. I think I was thinking about this a lot yesterday as I was going through my sermon again. Just like, I deserve wrath, and yet God gives me royalty. Right? Like, I, I can think, I can list off the things I deserve. But God gives me love and royalty. He gives me the Holy Spirit. We've received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes from God that is part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And in many ways, this is down payment, right, of the resurrection that we will receive in the Spirit someday and for all eternity to live in the Spirit with Him. The poor in Spirit receive the kingdom of heaven, but I think the question is, why do they receive it? it's because they value the character of the kingdom as reflected in Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said, the poor in spirit are willing to kiss the least flower that grows in the valley of humiliation, but to others a fair show of the flesh is an attraction because self-exaltation is their main goal of life. See, the world is all about power and authority and, and high up and showing how great you are and visualizing and and lifting and all these kind of things. And the kingdom of God just takes that, like flips it upside down and is like, may we be brought low so that God can exalt us. What a backwards kingdom, right? The world's like, be lifted up, get out of this, pull yourself up, go up here, do this. And God's kingdom is like, no, 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 bring yourself low in humility. Not, not in disgust, not in anger, not in bitterness. 
not devaluing, but in bringing yourself low, finding your true value in Jesus Christ, in bringing yourself low, being exalted by him, in bringing ourselves low in humility, recognizing the freedom and power that we've received from him, in bringing ourselves low, receiving the hope and healing that comes through Jesus Christ. See, the kingdom is so different than the kingdom of this world. It's about humility and grace. And I've heard it say, the crown of the kingdom only fits the head of the humble. It is through becoming poor in spirit that we value pardon. It's becoming poor in spirit that we value reconciliation. It's by being poor in spirit that we value forgiveness, that we value humility, that we value purity. Every beatitude becomes increasingly more important because we have recognized the state of our own heart and not as a place to put ourselves down, right? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Not to beat ourselves down or devalue, but to recognize our true value that comes from God. When we're humble, we are content in Christ. The poor in spirit don't need wealth to prove worth because we have the wealth of heaven. We have the riches of Jesus Christ. The poor in spirit have peace in Jesus rather than the fear of the world. The poor in spirit hope for the future because we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, the world sees the poor in spirit as a place of weakness, and we say it is, see it as the beginning of the great glory and honor of Jesus Christ through our lives. But we must do both. We must be empty, and we must receive the embrace of God. See, there's probably two kinds of people here today. One kind of person today is going to struggle to be emptied of themselves. Struggle to be empty of the thoughts and the power and the authorities of this world that constantly strive for more. Struggle to be empty of your own pride. Struggle to be empty of those things that are taking over. So you're going to be struggled to be filled because there's, there's not a release so that Christ can fill. And today I just want to encourage you, allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart and empty it so that it might be full of the goodness of God today. So you might recognize, you know what, I cannot be my own Savior. I need God to save me. I cannot be my own king. I need the King Jesus in my life. I cannot be my own hope and healing. I need Jesus to be the hope and healing of my life, and so I must empty myself. The other kind of person here today, maybe you are naturally critical, and so you are most critical to yourself, which means you struggle to receive the love of God the embrace of the Father. Maybe you grew up in a way where your physical family did not embrace you, did not welcome you in, did not show you that you are deserved of love. And so it's hard to imagine that kingdom. But can I tell you, would you allow God to repair that in your life today? Would you allow him to bring healing in your life today? Would you allow him to love you today? Would you say, Holy Spirit, my flesh is, is torn and broken, but I need you to heal me because I want to be embraced by God and walk in all the character of the kingdom. I want to walk in hope and healing. I want to walk in freedom and power. I want to walk in these things, but that's not going to be a work of the flesh. That needs to be a work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you work in my life? This is why we're Pentecostal right here. It's because we need the Holy Spirit to work upon our lives. We need Him to release and free us from our pride. We need Him to stir up within us that we might embrace the love of God and be embraced by Him. Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? Two kinds of people here today. Two kinds of people here today. Those who are struggling to be emptied and those who are struggling with being embraced. 
I'm going to pray for both of you. First, this morning, if you struggle to be empty, when you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need to lay down everything, would you help me to lay down every part of my heart? Maybe for some of you it's pride, maybe it's bitterness. And I need to surrender completely. I have been going my own way and doing my own thing and trying to fill my life with myself, but I need to build my life upon you. So I need to be empty of myself. I want to pray for you today. If you're saying, I need to be empty of myself. I need to recognize my spiritual poverty so I can be filled with Christ. If that's you, would you just lift your hands with me? I want to pray over you today. Dear Jesus, you see every hand, you see every person in this place who's longing to be emptied of everything. And I thank you, Jesus, right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that there is a release upon every life, that every heart is emptied, that every heart is released. We surrender these things. We surrender the pride. We surrender the bitterness. We surrender the selfishness. We surrender the self-ambition. And God, we take stock of our hearts and say, God, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We recognize the state of our heart and we say, Jesus, you are our Savior. I give everything to you, and I pray that you would fill me. You would restore. You would heal. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you heal the cracks and the brokenness in every heart and every life, the weariness in every spirit by your power, not by the work of the flesh, but by the work of the Spirit. We empty ourselves. We bring our brokenness. We bring our nothingness, knowing that you give everything, Jesus. Second thing I want to pray for, every eye closed, every head bowed today, you and God in this moment, is if you are struggling this morning, maybe because of your background, maybe because of how someone treated you, or maybe even how you treat yourself, you really struggle. You honestly reject being embraced by God because you cannot comprehend or understand or want to the idea of a loving father embracing you and welcoming you in. So you're more than willing to be critical. You're more than willing to be spiritually poor, but you struggle to receive the richness of God. But today the Holy Spirit wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your past and he wants to give hope for your future. And so if you're saying this morning, I need to be filled by the Holy Spirit that I might embrace the blessing of the kingdom, the love of God. Maybe I haven't had the best example, but I invite you, God, today to just fill me. I need you to do a work of the Spirit in my life, that I would receive and embrace the love of the Father. If that's you, would you just lift your hands with me today? Say, I just want to receive that embrace of the Father. I struggle with that, but I want to receive that. I'm going to pray over you today. God, we pray for every heart and every life here. We pray for a deeper revelation of the love of God upon every life. If you desire for that deep revelation, just leave your hands up. Lift your hands. We pray tonight. We pray today, Jesus, for a deeper revelation of your love upon every life. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would reveal the depth and riches like the prodigal, God, as we step into relationship with you and as you run to us and embrace us, God, I pray that every heart would be soft and open to receive that. Holy Spirit, would you stir upon every life? Holy Spirit, would you fight away and break the lives of the enemy that say that we cannot receive that kind of love because we've not received that kind of love from an earthly example? God, I pray for a heavenly power to reside upon every life. 
that your spirit reigning inside of us would reveal to us the depth of how much you care for us, how much you love us, how much you long for us to be in a relationship. And as we empty ourselves, would you heal us and would you fill us up in Jesus' mighty name, Jesus' mighty name.